Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, April 8th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's show by Slash Film writers, Huai Charan Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. Hello. Uh, all right, let's get into our first news item here, which is a Columbia Pictures water park is in the works. What's happening here, HD? Who are you going to call about a Columbia Pictures water park? Thailand? Is that the answer? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the title. I was actually struggling on which to answer for that. But yes, Thailand. The first ever Columbia Pictures theme park is coming to Thailand, courtesy of Sony Pictures Entertainment and Amazon Falls, which announced that they have closed a deal to develop a 14-acre 14 14 prime location in the seaside town of Bang Surrey, which is lo- located about 90 minutes from Bangkok. Um, it's going to feature characters and attractions from uh films like ghostbusters and men in black for state-of-the-art rides and uh it's called columbia pictures aquaverse it's also uh, in addition to to a theme park it's a water park and consists of eight themed and immersive zones as well as a program of live shows immersive entertainment props sets restaurants what have you wow well i didn't really see this coming um I think this is the first Sony themed theme park out there because I think Sony and Columbia Pictures are like essentially interchangeable. One might be like the parent company or something, right? But um, it's basically the same kind of thing. Uh, HD, you've you've broken down in this article, which we'll link to in the show notes, all of the rides, the list of attractions here. Um, but maybe just go through like one or two of those that that stick out uh, either because you think they actually legitimately sound interesting or maybe they sound ridiculous or, you know, any of those that just uh, jump out at you. I mean, quick. I feel like the three of us aren't the best to talk about theme parks on this <laughs> That's team. true. That is true. None of we us have, have arguably the worst lineup possible on of Slash Film Daily to talk about anything theme park related today. Yeah, but, you know, people enjoy them and I don't begrudge them uh, their enjoyment of theme parks. Uh, so a couple that are interesting, there's a Men in Black 
thrill ride, uh, which involves a 12-meter freefall ride that sends you careening down an MIB wormhole. Uh, there are Ghostbusters Supernatural Experience, which lets you step into the Ghostbusters portal and uh, zips you across ghost traps uh, in a water coaster, which is a full, only fully enclosed water dome in a family raft ride. Quick and- question. Does this Ghostbuster ride have lady Ghostbusters? Because if it does, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. The only way to to get Chris to come over to Thailand to go to the Columbia Pictures Aquaverse is got to be an Ghostbusters. All, no, it's got to be all male Ghostbusters. I'm not <laughs> female Ghostbusters aren't allowed. All right, continue, <laughs> HT. Okay. Um, and there's a Jumanji Jungle Adventure, uh, which allows you to go through some wild jungle themed water slides, visit Jaguar Mountain, uh, and plunge into Jumanji's splash pool. And there's a Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs Swallow Falls River Adventure, uh, which is a lazy river, essentially. Oh, okay. I, I love Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. So I guess if I were to go to Thailand, that would be where I would hang out. I don't know. It's the only ride you would go on, the lazy yeah. river ride. Uh, well, as you said, we're probably the, the worst people to talk about this. So we won't belabor the point. Let's let's move on to the next item here, which is that Saw 10 is already in development. Chris, how is this possible? I mean, <laughs> the Lord works in mysterious ways, Ben. That's how it's possible. And uh, God is blessing us with another Saw movie. Um, there was a period there where we were getting a Saw movie every year uh, on Halloween, uh, so much so that they actually adopted this tagline, which always drove me nuts because it made no, it doesn't make like grammatical sense. But the tagline was, if it's Halloween, it must be Saw, which no, it's stupid. Anyway, <laughs> like it must be seen. But, I guess. But Saw, but, is yeah, that- <laughs> I, I never really understood what it meant. But anyway, there was this period uh, where we were getting a Saw movie every year. And then around 2010, that stopped because like all horror franchises, people lose interest. But you know, studios, uh, Hollywood does not like to let go of a franchise, you know, especially if it was really successful at one point. So in 2007, they actually, 2017, sorry, they actually brought the franchise back with, uh, the movie Jigsaw and they didn't get right back into the new Saw movie every year thing after that, because it wasn't like a huge hit, but they are coming back this year with uh, spiral from the book of Saw which is the ninth movie and uh, it stars Chris Rock. And now it looks like they might, might be getting ready to go back to the Saw movie every year idea because uh, Production Weekly has revealed Saw 10 is currently in active development. And that's really all we know. We don't know who's going to be involved with it. We don't know if like Chris Rock is coming back to be in Saw 10 or, you know, because for all we know, he, he, he ends up dead in Saw 9. We don't really know how that movie's going to play out. But you know, right now, Saw 10 is is very likely to happen. I mean, the big question, Chris, is uh, will Saw 10 also be from the book of Saw? Like, I hope or... so. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to close the book of Saw just when we opened it. I mean, come right. on. Well, uh... <laughs> maybe it'll be like from the podcast of Saw. Every new oh. film will have a different subtitle. I love it. All right. Uh, okay, let's move to our next item, which is uh, something that I guess is just more confirmation of something that we've sort of um, either seen reported before, but now it's coming from uh, somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. The, the CEO of Warner Media has confirmed the plan to uh, release movies theatrically again in 2022. HT, what did he say? 
Yes, Warner Media CEO Jason Killar confirmed that uh, Warner Brothers will be going back to releasing films theatrically in the traditional uh, theater release without HBO Max simultaneous releases uh, in 2022. And they, uh, he said that, um, in I quote, um, I don't want anyone to misinterpret what we're doing right now as any indication that we're not believers in the movie going experience. I don't think we're going to see the world go back to 2016. The world is changing and that's the way the world is supposed to work. Uh, but essentially he said they are committed to the theatrical experience and that big tent poles like the, the 2020 release, The Batman, will be going to theaters first and likely to HBO Max after that theatrical window. So was there any indication of like, what the new normal might be for the, I guess, the that uh, time between when a movie leaves theaters and when it goes to HBO Max? Because some of the other streamers have sort of indicated, okay, moving forward, you know, I, I think, um, what, what was the, uh, Paramount Plus recently said something like, you know, uh, 45 days after a movie, uh, a big movie uh, leaves theaters, it will be available streaming on Paramount Plus. Do we have any sort of indication about what Warner's plans are moving forward like that? No, he didn't give any update on or, or more details on what that uh, plan is. He just basically indicated that they're going back to the, tr the traditional theatrical release, uh, which was an, an – uh, what was the window again? <laughs> was it like 90 days or I think something? Was, I don't yeah, remember now exactly. 90 day window. Uh, and as well as like the home video release too. So that's uh, something that still isn't, you know, t completely written down in stone yet. But uh, it seems that they're going to be going back to the way things were at least before COVID. Okay. I do want to add that uh, earlier we reported that Warner Brothers signed a deal with Cineworld, which owns uh, Regal Cinema's for a 45-day exclusive window. So at the very least, it has to be 45 days in theater before it can go anywhere else. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, good to know. So speaking of theatrical and streaming, um, HT, let's talk a little bit about Netflix and a deal that they just struck with Sony. Uh, so Netflix is about to become the new streaming home for Sony theatrical releases releases starting next year. Uh, Sony and Netflix have struck a major licensing deal that will uh, move have any Sony Pictures movies streaming on Netflix following their theatrical and home video windows. This includes all the future Spider-Man movies, the surrounding cinematic universe titles like Morbius, and uh, installments of franchises like Jumanji uh, and Bad Boys, as well as films like Uncharted, Bullet Train, Where the Crawdads Sing, and others. So this is a multi-year exclusive first pay window licensing deal. And um, it also seems to include a, a um, facet in which uh, Netflix will be financing uh, future Sony releases that are uh, targeted for streaming. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because Sony has been, you know, one of these companies that has not launched its own streaming service. And there's been a lot of rumblings about, I think for years about like, oh, is some company going to swoop in and buy Sony? Is, or, you know, are there going to be more mergers with the big studios and stuff like that? The idea now that Netflix is going to be actually not only uh, releasing some of Sony's stuff uh, or, or sort of like serving as the, the streaming home of some of Sony's stuff, but also financing it. That's sort of a, a new thing, isn't it? 
Yeah, that is a new thing. And it doesn't say exactly how many of these supposed titles Sony will be uh, targeting for streaming release only. Uh, according to this announcement, uh, Sony will Sony's theatrical output will continue at its current volume. And um, it's there seems to be there's like some some gray area in that. But yeah, it seems like Netflix and Sony have um, basically. Uh, struck a deal that is benefit benefits for both of them because Sony, like you said, doesn't have its own streaming platform. This way, they won't have to sink money into launching said streaming platform. And Netflix uh, will have a pipeline of theatrical releases that Disney Plus and HBO Max have with Warner Brothers, with Disney and all the other Disney films and Warner Brothers respectively. So I was reading in your your piece, HT, it said something about like a an eighteen month window. So this is this is not the same as what we were just talking about, where you know, like a movie comes out theatrically, a, a big Sony movie, and then you know, forty five days later, you'll be able to see it on Netflix. That, that's not what's going on here. This is like after a movie gets its normal home entertainment first window, then it the first place that it will be like, uh, I guess, streaming anywhere is Netflix. Is that the Am I getting that right? Yes, you're right. They plan to have that window for both theaters and then a home video release for 18 months before it's available on Netflix, according to the the report. Okay, so you'll be able to, you know, buy it, rent it, whatever, um, from other places. And then just in terms of like, okay, yeah, just normal streaming, Netflix will be the place where it will pop up from there. Gotcha. Okay. Exactly. Um, all right. So our next uh, story involves just a, a brief piece of casting news. I don't recall if we've talked on the podcast before about Steven Spielberg's next movie, which is uh, a film that he is making a, that is loosely based on his own childhood. I feel like maybe we did right when it was first announced, but Michelle Williams has been hired to play a character that is inspired by Spielberg's mom. Uh, and now today, Variety reported that Paul Dano is going to be playing uh, a guy inspired by Spielberg's father, Arnold. Um, Seth Rogen is also in the movie. He's going to be playing uh, Spielberg's favorite uncle in this film. So um, details are still a little scarce. We know that it's going to be loosely based on Spielberg's childhood growing up in Arizona in the late 1950s and early 60s, um, around the time that he first started making movies with a Super 8 camera. And uh, his parents... Um, divorced right around the time that like right around the time that he uh, graduated from high school. And that was obviously a, a big, like uh, life altering, you know, huge um, event for, for him as it would be probably for, for any child, but it especially affected Spielberg and, and those themes have been explored time and again in his movies. Um, Paul Dano is a great actor. The idea of Dano and Williams teaming up uh, with Spielberg behind the cameras is really exciting. So um, I think we, Man, I, can't, I wish I remembered uh, if we had actually talked about this before, but just in case we haven't, Spielberg is also co-writing this movie, which is the first time that he's done this uh, in many, many years, 20 years. Uh, he, he wrote the script for um, AI, artificial intelligence, which he picked up after Stanley Kubrick died. So um, he's only written three of his movies. He wrote the story for Sugarland Express in, 70, in 1974, and uh, he wrote Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977 as well. So um, yeah, I think all, it's probably safe to say that all of us are excited about this, and, and it sounds like a, a much more you know quiet, contemplative, sort of um, exploratory movie from Spielberg as opposed to you know a, a sort of a mainstream 80s-style blockbuster. Um, so I am very curious to see what happens there. So I just wanted to mention the Paul Dano news because that was exciting to me personally. Um, HT, speaking of things that are exciting to you personally, uh, the uh, uh, Park Chan-wook's next project. Uh, have you read the book on which he is uh, 
adapting? I have. The book that he's adapting is called The Sympathizer. It's written by Viet Thanh Nguyen. And there's actually, there's kind of a, a funny, or like a, idolization for Viet Thanh Nguyen within the Vietnamese community. He's the first Vietnamese author to win a Pulitzer Prize for this novel. It was his debut novel. And um, he's kind of, yeah, he's got that sort of status within that the Vietnamese community. Every time I write a good article, my family is like, oh, you're the next Viet Thanh Nguyen. So mm. <laughs> anyways, I'm very excited about this, this property. Um, this is a TV series adaptation of uh, the the Sympathizer, which is a Vietnam War, post-Vietnam War novel about a communist party mole who is spying on his fellow uh, South Vietnamese soldiers and eventually is sort of exiled, makes his way to America and is living in uh, Los Angeles and starts to sort of um, question his own uh, sort of standing and loyalties and all that as he starts to know his new home. Uh, it's a really, really great novel. Just the prose is excellent. It's just, um, it's an espionage novel and an immigrant story wrapped in one um, and has a lot of subversive elements to it that I just uh, found really compelling. Um, so I'm ex excited that it's going to be adapted to TV and adapted to TV by Park Chan-wook, by no, no less. Um, he recently ventured into TV with uh, John Le Carré series, The Little Drummer Girl in 2018. And he, of course, is very skilled at um, directing espionage uh, stories that are rooted in imperialist angst. Uh, I think of The Handmaiden, for example, and I did, haven't seen The Little Drummer Girl, but I feel like that might have some uh, connection to that as well. And uh, this is a series that's coming from A24, too, and Rhombus Media. So just a lot of exciting names and uh, companies involved in this. Yeah. When you read this book, HT, did it, does it feel cinematic? Does it feel like, um, I mean, the way you're describing it, it certainly sounds like it would make a great, uh, compelling TV show, but did, when you're, um, when you're reading it, did it sound like, oh my God, I can't wait until this becomes a movie or TV show. I mean, I just thought of it as a great read. I think it could be cinematic. I didn't think of it, of it immediately being like, I can't wait to see this on the screen. But I think for sure it could turn into something really cinematic and especially in Park Chan-wook's hands. Cool. All right, Chris, let's go to you for our last story, which is uh, involving Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. What are we? What's the latest on this movie? Uh, Eric Roth, who wrote the script, gave an interview. And with that in mind, you should take, I guess, everything Eric Roth says here with a grain of salt, because... Obviously, he's going to uh, talk up the movie he wrote that is currently being made. You know, he's not going to come out and be like, this is going to stink. But <laughs> that said, uh, he has some really exciting things to say. Um, I'm not going to read all of them. I, you know, go to go to slash film dot com to read them. But he says, <clears throat> quote, I know Marty's trying to make a movie that's probably the last Western that would be made like this. And yet with this incredible social document underneath and the violence and the environment, I think it'll be like nothing we've ever seen. And so this one is to me one for the ages. And he also says, <clears throat> quote, I just think Martin Scorsese is going to make uh, this one of the great movies. So again, obviously, he's going to say this and he even says in the quotes, obviously I'm going to say this, but uh, he, he talks this up to sound like, you know, if, if all goes according to plan, this is going to be, you know, not just another movie. It's going to be a great movie. And I really don't have a hard time believing that because Martin Scorsese is making this movie and Martin Scorsese makes great movies. So uh, again, while I 
usually take these sort of uh, praise things from people directly involved with productions with a grain of salt. I, I'm inclined to believe it here because both I think it, it's very possible and also I want to believe it. I want to believe this is going to be a great movie. The thing that really stuck out to me in his quote there, Chris, was the idea that this might be the last Western of this kind. And I think the budget for this movie is something crazy, like over $200 million, right? So I right. feel like he's probably right there where, you know, Scorsese famously had trouble finding financing for this movie. Um, it doesn't seem like the Western has become, you know, you got people like Taylor Sheridan who are who have sort of revitalized it a little bit, but now he's sort of working a lot with uh, Paramount Plus and and doing TV and streaming stuff. So the budgets there aren't going to be nearly what they are for a, a movie of of uh, Killers of the Flower Moon's scale. So I, I feel like he's kind of onto something in terms of like this could be the last uh, gasp for this genre getting you know getting this treatment at this budget level do you foresee there being um you know with, with the way that things are going with streaming do you do you foresee there being a world in which a another western is made with a 200 million dollar budget maybe in 10 years or something i guess it really depends on who's going to make it like i can't imagine like a uh, a young upstart coming out of nowhere being like i want to make a 200 million dollar western and they'll be like, <laughs> get the fuck out of our office. <laughs> but like, if like Marvel wanted to make a, a $200 million Western, I'm sure they could figure it out. Or like Steven Spielberg came in and, you know, he's he's talked about wanting to make a Western for a while. And if he was like, I want to make a Western, I'm pretty sure someone would pony up $200 million for that. But uh, pony up nicely done. Yeah, I actually didn't intend that. But thank you for making it, thank you for making it sound like I'm a master of wordplay, man. I just I didn't even think of that. But yes, that is what I meant, partner. Uh, <laughs> uh, the one other thing I wanted to mention here was that um, the film stage reported a couple days ago that uh, Jack Fisk has been hired as the film's production designer, and he is a two-time Oscar nominee who has worked on movies like The Master, Mulholland Drive, The Thin Red Line, uh, The Tree of Life, but probably more um, relevant to this production uh, movies like there will be blood, the new world and the revenant. So he uh, certainly knows what he's doing in terms of making a movie look incredible, especially one that has this sort of, yeah, like Western turn of the century kind of vibe to it. So yeah, he works uh, with um, David Lynch a lot. He's like David Lynch's go-to guy. So it's, it's cool to see him working with Scorsese. Yeah. So I, all of us are, are very excited about Killers of the Flower Moon. So uh, do we know like when this movie is supposed to come out, Chris? I know they're, so are, are it, they shooting it now or are they shooting, have they shot parts of it, but they're. As far the as I can tell, they're still sort of in pre-production, but they're gearing up to start to shoot soon. And the story goes is they're going to shoot through July. And then it, Scorsese is notorious for really taking his time editing because him and uh, Thelma Schumacher don't, they don't rush it. So uh, by all accounts, we're probably not going to see this until 2022, which is kind of a bummer because I want it right now. But uh, I guess I'm I'm willing to wait for greatness and hopefully this will turn out to be great. Yeah, and I think that might actually be the best case scenario for this movie because then you know, 2022, hopefully think with, with the way things are going right now, uh, things you know in, in, a, in the United States will be much better next year than they are now. I mean, things are, are certainly looking up. So I feel like that'll give us all something really big to look forward to in a, in a way that all of us can like return safely to the theater and, and hopefully not have to worry about 
uh, COVID in the, in the same way that we are now. So we'll um, have all new things to worry about. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure things we haven't else. even thought of yet. No. <laughs> That's right. Um, okay. So just a, a quick, a uh, few quick follow-ups from uh, the mailbag. Um, Nicholas from Chicago Heights wrote in uh, our discussion. We were talking about um, food related movies on a recent episode of this podcast. And he said, I was so disappointed that nobody mentioned eat, drink, man, woman as a great food movie. I would argue that it's the best food movie. And one of my favorites, I love cooking and this movie inspires me to cook hopefully this email gets recognized so everybody can know how great this food looks uh eat drink man woman is what an ang lee movie is that right i've never seen this film have either of you Uh, i actually my mom has a dvd of this and i always saw the cover and thought huh i should watch this movie and i never did (laughs) <laughs> I, I've never, I have not seen it, which is why I didn't mention it. So, okay, I, sorry, I'm Nicholas. Sorry. Yeah, we, we have not seen this one, which is why it went unmentioned. Um, but maybe I'll add it to my my queue here. And then uh, the only other follow up we have is from Cade from Iowa, who says the Slash Film staff did a great segment on the podcast about filmmaking books and books about filmmaking. The staff gathered a truly great list. I would add, like to add one more recommendation, Conquest of the Useless by Werner Herzog. This book is a collection of journal entries written by Herzog himself during the filming of Fitzcarraldo. This is hands down one of the most amazing books about filmmaking I've ever read. Anybody film, uh, familiar with Herzog's work or his interviews knows that he has one of the most captivating voices in the media landscape, bar none. The book is emotional, grim, and occasionally quite humorous. I would go so far as to say... Uh, one does not even have to appreciate the movies Herzog makes to enjoy his writing. I, for one, haven't even seen Fitzcarraldo. Herzog is a force of nature, and his writing is a treasure. And again, that's from. I Kate wonder if there's a, uh, an audio book of this with him reading it. Yeah, I would that's love to hear his, his yeah. very oh, yeah. distinctive voice reading that. I was going to ask Chris if, if you'd ever read this, but it sounds like the answer is no. No, right? I, I have not, no. Um, have either of you seen Fitzcarraldo by any chance? I haven't. Nope, I feel like an idiot, but I haven't. But I, I've uh, seen other Herzog movies, damn it. I just seen it. <laughs> yeah, I watched Fitzgeraldo maybe last year or the year before. Time is is useless now. Who can who can say? Um, but I was very impressed with it. And uh, I, yeah, the, the idea of, um, of Herzog keeping a journal, especially during the production of that movie, which looked like such a... Um, a monstrous, gigantic production to uh, to sort of um, track uh, sounds really fascinating. So, Conquest of the Useless is the name of that book. So, thank you to Cade for that recommendation. Um, if you have any other uh, mailbag topics or any other recommendations or follow ups to any of the topics that we've discussed previously, you can send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and all that stuff to peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Uh, You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. And don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.